Hello, this is Harold Lapidus, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Boston Herald Podcast. Today's subject, an elegy for a lost America, Bob Dylan, live in New England, 2019, specifically Lowell, Massachusetts, and Providence, Rhode Island. I saw Bob Dylan twice recently, and as usual, it got my mind to thinking. <laughs> I was thinking about how people approach music. It doesn't matter if it's making music, listening to music, going to a concert. It reminded me of politics as everyone is in their own bubble. Some people want their beliefs and expectations confirmed. Seeing Paul McCartney or the Rolling Stones or The Who or probably Taylor Swift, people are going to see a brand. They have spent money on their tickets. There's possibly money for babysitters, transportation, time off work, or just going out for a good time. I know when I saw the first three of those bands I just mentioned, I would love to hear their new stuff. And these days, I just hope they play a few of those songs, maybe, and hopefully they're pretty good. Then there's another kind of bubble, a different kind of bubble, where people are want to go to concerts and be challenged or educated or enlightened. They don't want what is uh, to be expected. Neil Young falls into that category, and Bob Dylan certainly does as well. Last month, I attended two Bob Dylan concerts in New England. The first one was Tuesday, November 19th at the Sangha Center in Lowell, Massachusetts, which I already briefly reviewed in episode six. And the second was the following night at the Providence Performing Arts Center. Going to the Providence show in the gorgeous refurbished old theater was a given. I'd seen Dylan there twice before, the first one in 2014, which led to my review being posted on Bob Dylan's official site. Since the link to that article is now dead, I posted on my No Depression page, which is also dead, but at least it's still available for viewing. You can access it on my blogger page. I'd seen and reviewed Dylan at the Sangha Center before as well. The Lowell show may have had the advantage of a slightly more engaged and animated Dylan, but only slightly. In the intimate Providence setting, it was easier to get into the music. My aisle seat, close up on the left, may have been the best I've ever had, especially the way the stage is currently set up. I could see everything that was happening on stage, including Dylan playing at the upright piano, which had something, a setless maybe, above the keys. As most fans know, Dylan has barely changed the setless this entire tour. In fact, someone posted on Facebook that with the recent Beacon Theater shows in New York, he set some kind of record for most stagnant setless ever, which bothers me not at all. It shouldn't be about the songs. It should be about each night's performance. The criteria should be, does it work or doesn't it? Is he into it or is he not? There are a lot of posts on social media about how great this run of shows has been, but fans always kind of say that. But as the old Rolling Thunder Review bootleg was once titled, Believe What You Heard. It took two shows for me to really get a grasp on what was going on, or at least in my mind. I thought to myself, was there a reason Bob was playing the same 19 songs night after night? It was when I heard Bob sing in Providence about the Washington ladies scrambling to get out of town in Thunder on the Mountain that a possible narrative could somehow be extracted from the so-called stagnant set lists. So this is when I began to reinterpret the concerts. As always, this is just me ruminating about what this show could possibly have been about. I get the feeling I may be putting more emphasis on a narrative than uh, Bob Dylan has. Of course, he's been chronicling American history for nearly six decades, either consciously or unconsciously, so I guess it should come as no surprise. 
But think about it. There's a play called Girl from the North Country, now on Broadway via the UK. It's getting rave reviews. It recontextualizes Dylan songs, and often not the obvious ones. It's described as taking place in 1934 in a time-weathered guest house in the heartland. I haven't seen it, so um, I can't give a first-hand account, but I'm certainly intrigued by it. In my 2014 review of The Providence Show, I hypothesized that the show felt Shakespearean. Did the Broadway hit have a similar effect on the current tour? I hope I'm not getting into uh, Paula's dead territory here. And I'm not saying these shows were intended as a play or a rock opera or anything that calculating or definitive. It's just that over the course of the evenings, it felt like it was a collection of songs, Morning in America, that is no longer here. And it's not just the old, weird, invisible Republic America or a mythical America, but also the more recent losses of freedoms and friends. It's 2019, and Dylan appears to be giving a speech of sorts, or maybe a sermon, at each of his concerts. A State of the Union address, as it were. Uh, nothing obvious, no idiot wind, or it's all right, Mom, only bleeding. But there's something about this collection of songs that got me thinking. Is this a commentary on America's current civil war? We already know of his interest in the previous one, but at least to me, this is not only about a divided country, but also the grieving of romantic relationships, as well as those who have left this world altogether. Bob Dylan has often mentioned in interviews and referenced in song lyrics his astrological sign of Gemini, the twins, two parts of the same whole. During recent shows, Dylan was constantly shifting gears. Songs alternatively fast and slow, performing with an instrument and without, standing and sitting, while recalling America's past and his own. Not only that, but some of the arrangements appear to be going in two directions at once. While it's not unusual for Dylan to have a multiple choice set list printed out, and in the old days, for him to ignore all of the choices listed. At the start of the evening, for instance, uh, the first song's jungle music intro could signal Beyond Here Lies Nothing, which was the song of choice at the start of the tour, a tribute to the Grateful Dead lyricist and sometimes Dylan collaborator, Robert Hunter, who died weeks before the first show of this leg of the tour. But instead, it's the intro to 2000's Things Have Changed, the current opener. The next song choice is either It Ain't Me Babe or It's All Over Now Baby Blue. With the current arrangement, it could go either way. The third song, Highway 61, has an added riff reminiscent of Duquesne Whistle, a song like Beyond Here Lies Nothing, co-written with Mr. Hunter. So, okay, here it goes. Whether by accident or by choice, as I said, Dylan has been chronicling the American psyche in real time ever since he began writing songs. So, this tour in particular, Dylan appears to be reflecting on what's happening to him and his surroundings. I know some of this may sound uh, far-fetched, but stick with me. I think some, there's something happening here. The opening number, as I said, was 2000's Things Have Changed. Uh, Bob Dylan center stage with guitar, the first of two songs he plays guitar, and uh, Donnie Heron is playing violin. If you go to my uh, webpage, you'll see Bob Pagel's uh, Bob Link's information about the details from the tour. So I don't have to repeat it over and over again for all 19 songs, but, but I will say something when it's relevant. As usual, the opening song sets the tone, or indeed the theme for the evening. 
things have indeed changed. Not like the battle cry of his 1963 anthem with the similar title, but here he is given to despair or at least apathy. People are crazy. Times are strange. Uh, I think we can all uh, agree to, on that. Uh, nearly 20 years after this Oscar-winning song first appeared, everyone's exhausted, everyone's nervous. And he's, he's saying in 1989, uh, everything is broken, or at least it appears to be. It's something we struggle with every day. Next up, uh, featured Bob on an upright piano for an Amy Babe, reimagined as a kind of a choppy uh, torch ballad. Uh, this piano might be even a better fit than the previous grant. At least for the current show, it gives it a kind of a barroom saloon kind of feel. For the rockers, Dylan would stand like Little Richard. But for the ballads and slower songs, he sits down like the song stylist he is when he wants to be. And this song, Dylan is no longer taking responsibility. Or is he? His inscrutable expression makes one wonder. Is he like a clergyman? Or maybe a jokerman? Or maybe Gemini Bob is being both simultaneously. Song number three, Highway 61 Revisited. Highway 61 is over 1,400 miles long, extending from New Orleans to Minnesota, generally following the Mississippi River. It divides the country in half, not north and south, not red and blue, but certainly left and right. Pretty sure Bob plays this classic song from his 1965 masterpiece album, because it's a great rocker, not for any subversive political reasons. Yet there's a new symbolism there nonetheless. I'll have more to say about that album when I get to the encore. With the next song, you can see a pattern emerging with Gemini rising. Rockers alternating with ballads at almost every turn. A rewritten Simple Twist of Fate finds Bob Dylan, or the character in the song, looking back at his ex-lover. In this version, we find out in the end he's got a date with a new prospect, yet he clearly has feelings that are lingering. Dylan's five albums worth of crooning the American Songbook shows its obvious influence here. Originally a gentle song first heard on Blood on the Tracks, this version captures the heartbreak always lurking underneath and magnifies it. Dylan leaves the piano and walks center stage, his harp playing pure jazz. Another showstopper, a dramatic rewrite of Can't Wait, waiting for you to change your mind, trying to think straight, kind of captures the American psyche right now there, doesn't it? When I paint my masterpiece, again, an almost unrecognizably different arrangement, but like most of tonight's rewrites, this one recasts the song in a new context that works, as opposed to some in the past where the versions just appear to be uh, rearranged in a perverse way. Here, Dylan's overseas looking back home, longing for an old America. Uh, he quotes uh, the 1969 uh, Tommy James and the Shondells hit Crimson and Clover, leading to the rhyme of feeling like his cup is running over. Uh, some days everything gonna be different, he laments, and we can only hope. 2001's uh, Honest With Me. Uh, yeah, a bit on the nose there, isn't it? In the age of uh, fake news, lying congressmen, and a cabinet full of crooks, being honest sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? Uh, 1997's uh, Trying to Get to Heaven is next. And it's been seen as a lament for uh, Grateful Dead guitarist Jerry Garcia. Here, another type of loss, loss of a good friend and a collaborator and in some ways a mentor. Next up is uh, Dylan's biggest hit from the past quarter century or so. Billy Joel, Garth Brooks, and Adele 
and countless contestants on vapid so-called TV talent shows have covered it. Make you feel my love. Doesn't particularly follow my made-up narrative here, but again, the emotions are uh, incredibly heartfelt. Next, Paid Blood from Tempest. Uh, has a completely new melody, and uh, the song uh, is about corruption of uh, Shakespearean proportions. Pain and blood, but not my own. Uh, seems pretty apt. And next, uh, it was an amazing version of Lenny Bruce, another song rewritten. He, uh, Lenny Bruce is... Uh, a rebel, a voice of truth that was silenced, in the words of Phil Spector, from an overdose of police. And you can read into that what you want. There's corruption all around, but let's vilify the comedian instead of the real criminals, the ones in their coats and ties. To use a uh, Dylan lyric, which I try not to do, but I still do sometimes. But um, yeah, why don't we get the distraction of, or the deflection of blaming the wrong people instead of the true villains. The song is also possibly a nod to John Lennon. Some people have interpreted it that way. Like uh, the previous song about Jerry Garcia, another person no longer with us. Early Roman Kings, which has a tenuous uh, connection to when I paint my masterpiece uh, in the streets of Rome. But uh, these early Roman Kings were most likely a gang in the South Bronx in the late 60s and early 70s. Lecherous and treacherous, destroy you and your city. Images you can apply to uh, today's headlines. Now we get to a uh, girl from the North Country. Again, he's thinking about a former lover. Uh, was it Susie Rodolo, Bonnie Beecher? Uh, might be Echo Hellstrom, who died not that long ago. And of course, it's the name of uh, the Broadway play. But why do I think it might be Echo? And I'm wondering if it, there might be a, a uh, audio pun here. Dylan uses an echo effect on another showstopper, the next song, Not Dark Yet. Again, he's in a crooner mode, and Matt Chamberlain, the new drummer, has a, a Lanois-type effect on his drums. Thunder on the Mountain, the one about the uh, Washington wives uh, trying to get out of town. It's done at lightning speed, like some of the other songs here tonight. It's kind of a 50s arrangement, but not quite three chords. Uh, Matt Chamberlain on the drums and Charlie Sexton on guitar really shine. Soon After Midnight, also from uh, 2012's Tempest album. Uh, Dylan's settling down again, uh, saying, <laughs> searching for phrases to say your praises, which seems to be uh, the press secretary's full-time job. Uh, and there's two time and slim. Uh, now and never more than ever. Uh, after introducing the band, Dylan uh, seems to be ending uh, his uh, sermon with Gotta Serve Somebody, kind of like uh, the preacher, Little Richard Penniman. Again, another song completely rewritten. For the encore, there were two more songs from Highway 61. The first one was Ballad of a Thin Man, and this is the second time Bob played guitar on stage. And why was Bob playing guitar on one of his most famous piano songs? Uh, the next song might possibly give us a clue. But as far as Ballad of a Thin Man goes, uh, no matter what side you're on politically, you think the other side doesn't understand, and you do. Something's happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you? And the set closes with a slow, bluesy take on It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry. And when I was listening to it in Providence, it hit me that Charlie Sexton may have been trying to channel Michael Bloomfield, the guitarist from 1965, 
uh, there's a new biography of him by David Dan, and maybe uh, another man done gone, someone on Bob's mind. That's also a favorite song of George Harrison's. In the final lines, Dylan says, don't say I didn't warn you when your train gets lost. Train symbolism runs rampant in Dylan's songs. There's a slow train coming yet again, and people get ready. And uh, maybe uh, the direction where America is heading may not be the best one. So there you have it. That's my take on the 2019 Autumn Bob Dylan tour. And as a side note, I found something interesting, at least to me. Bob Dylan is not someone who promotes any recent archival releases, such as the bootleg series, as a general practice. Unlike, uh, let's say, uh, Bruce Springsteen, when he tours to support, let's say, a box set of material from 1980's The River album, he's going to spotlight that album on tour. However, with Dylan, box sets have been coming with such regularity, it would be difficult to avoid it at this point. In fact, at least six of the 19 songs performed each night recently have appeared on recent releases. Plus the prominence of Donny Heron's uh, violin after Martin Scorsese's recent Rolling Thunder Review film uh, it might be more than a coincidence. However, there's nothing about the performances that make one think he was doing this as anything as crass as uh, promoting them. So thanks for making it to the end of this podcast. I hope I didn't get too much into the uh, over-analysis uh, territory. Dylan always challenges me, makes me think differently about the world. So um, just wanted to share those thoughts with you, and uh, hopefully you got something out of it. So uh, thanks for listening. See you next time, and thanks to Mark Scalisi. Hopefully, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, uh, for some of the images that will be on the webpage.